0: Why am I carrying a box of live mice?
1: How else are you supposed to trigger the glyph of warding?
0: Hello, and welcome back to the Grognards. This is podcast number three. My name's Dean Geigen. I'm Eric Hawley. And Greg Ziegler. And today we are back on the air a little early. Uh, We're all waking up very early because our schedules are so... uh, Desperate that uh, we can't always get together in an afternoon or an evening. So we're now bleary eyed and very uh, non bushy tailed. Thank God for coffee. (laughs) No kidding. So today's podcast is going to be DM'd by none other than Greg Ziegler, who is normally not a DM, but
1: instead a player. He's our player representative. I am. While I may not have have, uh, nearly as much experience, uh, you know, with D anD D as these guys, and uh, I've only ever actually game mastered once, and that didn't go so well. (laughs) um, I have had uh, pretty much had a regular uh, role playing game gig going uh, since uh, 1983. So I have characters who are long burn characters. I've played the same character. Six, eight, ten years, that's not weird for me. Impressive. That's gonna Impressive. be
2: helpful this because this episode
0: we're talking about PCs and NPCs. And for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, and if you don't know what you're talking about or what we are talking about, why the hell are you listening? Yeah.
1: It's so weird. <laughs> but uh player yeah. characters and non player characters. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in some of uh, certain games that I play, you have something called a dependent non-player character, which is a non-player character that you drag around with you for the entire game, and who is dependent on your character. Uh, what would you call that in DD Usually, a follower, a cannon fodder. Maybe. Yeah, sometimes that works. <laughs> a um, a they, plot adventure hook. Back okay.
0: in first edition, I think they used to call yeah. them hirelings. Yeah, and henchmen. Had, there was henchmen. a difference between hirelings and henchmen. Yes, yeah. there was. Uh, a, yes, lot there non, was.
1: a lot of non a lot of non D D games. Uh, that's your family members your spouse, your children, uh, that's a pretty regular one. I know in our current uh, D&D game, uh, one of our characters is married and has children now. Yeah,
2: as, as a DM, I love to throw in that uh, those relationships because sometimes it's hard to motivate characters. And we'll, we're going to do a whole episode about railroading later on, but it's one yeah. thing saving some you know, innocent bystander you happen to meet alongside the road. But when your family is threatened, there tends to be a little more buy-in, I think. So
0: I use children a lot. Yeah. I use children. And, man, I tell you what, especially if there's a paladin
1: in the group. <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, everybody here's got a pretty good backlog of uh, player characters. So, uh, yes. uh, Dean, what's your uh, favorite player character that you've had in your long and storied history of gaming? Well, I have
0: two that stand out um one is a magic user that's what it was called in first edition yeah. a magic <laughs> user and his name was erikil zamilar and he came from an island that um uh, where magic was pretty much used as we use electricity and technology now okay so magic was used to like move things so they had like movable Sounds like early Forgotten Realms. Maybe, maybe, you know, move cars essentially, but they were carts that moved on their own and you stu- steered them and stuff like that, but they were moved by magic. And they had certain things where they could talk to one another, you know, just by casting a simple little spell on this device on the wall and you could talk to each other. So it was that way. Um, but he was, um, he got up there. I think when I left, he was like 13th level. I what, played him
2: a was long Was there a cat uh, back then? Was that AD&D? Him? That was that was AD and yeah, yes thirteenth was yeah you were right you were fighting some, some yeah is there, is there
1: some reason why this is your favorite uh, character? Um, because
0: I think the longevity of my time with him, and it was just fun because after a while, I mean, I was the guy in the back, always like, oh, don't get me out in front, I'm gonna die, and then eventually well, that's where all became, the wizards belong. Yeah, and eventually he became the guy. Stand back, I'll take care of this. <laughs> Type of thing, and then I had another one called the Crimson Strangler, who I had kind of. uh, He was a rogue, and his speciality was the ability to work knots and use ropes in a special sort of way. So I was able to like, you know, uh, strangle three people at one time with a trip rope of certain things, and the DM was willing to let me do it, and I played it, and I had a lot of fun with that character. Yeah, and
2: that's a lot of homebrew
0: rules. It sounds like, which can be
2: fun. We'll talk about those as well at some point in the future. So, uh, So, how about you, Eric? Um, you know, ironically, I'm, I'm the DM's DM, so I don't have a lot of characters. The, the, I follow there, too. Yeah. the uh, I had a character named Bowen the Black, which I stole the name from uh, Larry Niven Dream Park. Larry Niven, Stephen Barnes. If anybody hasn't read it, you should check it out. It's pretty good. But um, he was uh, a gish, which is the term uh, that they use for a fighter magic user. Um, and he was interesting because... I tried to play him as good, but I wasn't very good at it, so he sort of walked the line. And at one point, <laughs> um, the DM forced an alignment change, and I lost a level in each level, which is almost two because I was about to go up. And that was AD&D, so losing a level was a big deal. Yeah. But um, he was just a
0: fun character to do because he was so versatile. It's interesting you picked a fighter magic user. That was one of my favorite multi-classes. It, I loved it was, that In AD&D, that it was an awesome combination.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah I've... Um, most of my favorite characters are not D D characters. My uh, my my current uh, um, uh, half elf uh, ranger in your campaign, Rawiel, That's easily my favorite of my um, fantasy characters. I've I've got about a half a dozen. Um, you know, she's had an interesting bit of a story arc, you know, we got the, the NPC mother thrown in there. Uh, but, uh, easily my, uh, probably my, well, I shouldn't say easily, but my favorite character that I've, uh, run over time is Mercy O'Neill, which was my, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer role-playing game character. Um, I was with a group that play-tested that game. Uh, I ran that character for over 11 years. Wow. Um, and, uh, we, we were playing every other week for that whole time, um, a lot of character development there a lot of fun interaction uh with the other characters uh you know she definitely didn't go places i was exp- i set her up to go when i created her because of the circumstances of the campaign and that's that's a good thing about a pc is you set them up with some flaws and some character traits and the game master and the campaign takes you in directions that you don't see as long as you have a good grasp on that character um so that uh, brings us to the idea of how you come up with a player character um, in Dungeons and Dragons. You've got a good, uh, you know, framework for that. You tend most people sit out and say, you know, you pick a race, you pick a class, then you pick a race, and then character's personality falls out of that. The game has the mechanics for creating those characters. If you don't want to make that stuff up on your own, um, so do you guys have any? Criteria that jump up for you when you make up characters.
0: I used to always ask what type of setting we were going to be in. And the people who were the DMs when I DMed, uh, or when I played as a player, usually picked some type of Western European setting, for the most part, fantasy setting. Um, I did participate in it, uh, and again, we probably can't call it this anymore, but the Oriental Adventures... Um, back in uh, back in the 80s. And so I had a hard time because I was kind of uh, Eurocentric in terms of my mindset for my characters. So I had a hard time with that one. So I always asked the DM what type of setting we were going to be in and that would be kind of how I as developed a, mine. As a quick aside, funny, uh, amusing anecdote, which we like to sprinkle
2: in. We played Oriental Adventures in college and I was running and my roommate at the time was another uh, guy named Eric and he was playing a samurai And this was in the 80s, mid 80s. And if you've lived through that era, this would be more funny. And if not, probably not as funny. But um, we're playing and there's some interaction. And he's quiet the whole time. And in the middle of the interaction, he turns to the rest of the party or turns to DM, who is me, and he says, Do I have AIDS? And and this is the mid 80s when the (laughs) AIDS crisis was full blown. And we're like, Gee, Eric, we don't know and what he meant was does his samurai have like assistance oh <laughs> <laughs> nice but it, it was amusing <laughs> at the time you know um <laughs>
1: uh. <laughs> <laughs> brought, the, st- brought the action to a halt. Man. Yes, yes.
2: Yeah. Everyone's like, well, we were in combat, but now let's talk about Eric's health. <laughs> yeah. Um, so <laughs> nice. anyway. Um, um, that's but, amazing. <laughs> uh, what I do, and I think I've mentioned this before, when I play, I'm a min-maxer, and, and I'm proud of being a min-maxer. I have a, a philosophy that there's no wrong way to play D&D. If you play it one way and everybody else is good with it, you're playing, you're playing D&D the right way. Um, now I've sort of tempered my min-maxer, uh, Recently, I tend to put a, a more quirks or flaws in my character, but especially back in the day, I always started with, you know, I want a gish. I want a character that can fight and cast spells, or mm-hmm. I want an archer that can hang back and just deal damage. That's where I always started. Why don't, you, uh, why
1: don't you just throw out there uh, exactly exactly what you mean by min max, sir? Yeah. Well, How do you describe des- min max? When describe when I your problem to us. Eric, yeah. So the, the traditional
2: <laughs> min max is. Uh, you know, you have so many points to allocate to ability scores, and I'm going to be an archer. So I need dexterity and maybe constitution. So I end up with 18 dex, 18 con, and 10 everything else. I'm maximizing the important stuff and minimizing the, the not-so-important stuff. And it usually gets you more points. You, you make a character that tends to be uh, pretty powerful if you do it right, but... Uh, some people look down on that.
1: And there's a lot of multi-classing involved in. Uh, it can in be. It depends on the well. system.
2: I mean, min max is general to all games,
1: uh, but you know, well, you know, I'm going to take a couple levels in fighter so I can get this, yeah. uh, you know, and I, I get still that extra do that. And yeah, do that.
2: I, I always in fifth edition. I look and I love to splash classes, especially two levels in wizard because you get your wizard school. So fifth edition, if you go uh, uh, divination, you get those two portent rolls, which two d20s you can replace every day. If you go war with war mage, you get to add your intelligence bonus to your initiatives role. I mean mm-hmm. there's a
1: Yeah. My my personal issue with that though is that oh that would be really great. I could I could really use those uh, that level, you know, in spellcaster. But is that something that your character as a imaginary person would do or did or has had the life experience to accumulate. See, we
0: work opposite directions when we build characters. You start with the story. I start with the stats. See, I start with the story. And I was going to say in terms of sometimes my character creation back in the day was sometimes inspired by a book or a movie or something that I saw and said, oh, I'd like to build a character that way. And I'm kind of with Greg. Um, I'm I'm not a min-maxer. I know... The benefits of it, but I also would rather develop a
1: character based on a background or a, a a particular idea or theme. Well uh, and so I, I, I'm actually feeling a certain amount of pressure these days that I need to start doing that a little bit. Don't give in to the pressure, Greg. Don't I know because I'm falling a little bit behind. I'm, I'm sometimes I'm over I mean it, in Eric's campaign we're thirteenth level and I am super specialized. I do my one thing and that's all I do. I can hit anything from any distance, whether it's <laughs> yeah. hidden or not. And that's that's, <laughs> and that's the problem with
2: min maxing. I've played some uh, convention games or even online games where I had one adventure. I was playing uh, my sorcerer. Well, he's a splash of wizard. (laughs) Um, He was relatively powerful. He's a a control caster, so he doesn't deal out tons of damage. But the people I was playing with were dealing out absurd amount of damage to the point where it wasn't fun for me anymore. I mean, they had min-maxed every loophole, and that's where I've sort of pulled it back. When it starts to interfere with other people's fun— you need to sort
0: of yeah. get it under control. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where, and not to interrupt you, Greg, but that's, that's where I kind of have a problem with it. It interrupts my fun of the game because someone is basically like, well, oh, I can do that, too. or I can do that, yeah, too. I can and I solo can, this monster. Yeah, exactly. You know,
1: why are you even here? Yeah, my, uh, my, my longest tenure of individual game experience is in the superhero game Champions I mean, I started that was that I started playing champions in in 83 as well and was playing it up until I don't know, about six or eight years ago, you know, almost constantly the entire time. And as a superhero game, what your character does is very important. And uh, when other characters started doing things that uh, your character that started infringing on your character's unique ability, we called that shtick infringement. <laughs> uh, because every character had a shtick. So if my thing is I go invisible and nobody can see me and then suddenly there's two other characters in the campaign that can go invisible, you just suddenly become less important. Yeah, I could see that being important in <laughs> yeah. a superhero setting. Superhero games are also very story-driven and very character driven because you're not trying to accumulate any wealth. and You're trying to do anything It's all very you know, let's solve the problem of you know this run or series of runs. I, I'm, um,
0: I'm giggling to myself about something. You triggered a memory, Greg, about going invisible. I remember I remember DMing some of my first games with some players back in the uh, back in the old days, and they all somehow or another acquired invisible rings. Oh, and it's soon as soon game as, master
1: was not controlling that game, yeah,
0: as soon as um, they encountered a monster, it was like blip, 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 all, <laughs> everybody yeah. disappears.
1: I don't I don't think there's a game or a system. You know, fantasy game, superhero game, sci-fi game, where invisibility is not always the most powerful thing that you can have yeah. to affect what's going on in a run and to screw up a GM DM's play. Was that
2: old? That old. uh question if you could have a superpower would you rather have flying or invisibility and you can read all kinds of stuff people yeah. have debated this and what uh, the general consensus but it's always is always yeah, those are the only two you get to choose from and if you pick flying you tend to be a, a good natured person and if yeah. you take invisibility you mm. tend to be a
1: deceitful type person yeah. it's an interesting question to pose at a party or yeah. a yeah. gathering of friends. So it's come up before uh, that uh, Dean brought it up about uh, he tends to take his uh, character ideas from uh, stories or books, or other characters. I know. Do you find yourself on those rare yeah, occasions so, when you are forced to make up a character? So let me tell you
2: about my most recent character I made because that's a perfect example of where I am now with characters. He is uh, his name is Snarglepus, and he's a goblin. And I discovered in perusing the rules that um, you can dual wield lances in Fifth Edition if you're mounted. Now lances do 1d12 damage, so that's that's pretty awesome, and they're mm-hmm. not even a, a heavy weapon. So He's if you have do wheel, yeah. So well, we're going to get into the the nuts and bolts here. So I'm like, it would be cool to make a character that can do wheel, but he needs to be mounted. Well, if I take a ranger with a small creature, I can summon my companion, and I can ride my companion. So I could be riding this creature that I, if it dies, I can resummon it. That's perfect. So I make a... A small creature, you know, I have a selection, you know, whole variety to choose. Then if I take Cavalier, I can actually get additional bonuses while I'm mounted. And um, you can sort of go into finer detail. But um, you get advantage on any attacking any creature that's smaller than your mount. So if you ride a large mount, any medium or smaller creature, you have advantage. <laughs> Which is mostly things with you With lances. Run into. And mm-hmm. if you advance as a fighter which you would have to as a Cavalier, you could end up getting like four attacks around, <laughs> um, D12 plus your strength bonus. Um, but so, you're a Goblin. But you're a Goblin. <laughs> so so this is where I started. I'm like, I want... So I picked Goblin because I didn't want to take... I wanted something... Now I get into the character. How am I going to assign this character to be interesting? Well, so and how a, are you
1: going to make the other player characters a, want to be with you? He's too. a folk
2: hero Goblin cast out of his Goblin tribe. <laughs> and his mount is a cow. So his his claim to fame is fresh milk after there's, every victory. <laughs> there's there's the hook, you know. Yes. He's a goblin
0: on a cow so, who doesn't want a game with that.
2: So you know, it's I could have taken I could take a flying mount truthfully, but that to me is overpowered. Now I'm infringing on other people's fun. Right. Um By taking a cow, although he is a very powerful character in melee, and believe it or not, cows are nasty when you're second level. (laughs) They can charge and do like three d six plus six damage. Yeah, I mean that's a lot at first and second level. Anyway, um, cows are nasty in real life. So that's piss him off. (laughs) Exactly. That's that's my current. So I I started with hey, there's this weird fluke in the rules that I could exploit. That's the min max part. Right. How am I going to make this character interesting? So I'm going to, you know, make him a folk hero goblin. And how am I going to sort of tone him down so that he's not overshadowing other people's? And that's why he rides a
1: war cow, a goblin war cow, I call well, it. And it's fun. And it is fun. Yeah, it and is I fun. play him more lighthearted and, you know. Yeah, that's that's one thing I've noticed a lot of times uh, in any game. You have to decide pretty early on, are you going to have the serious character or are you going to have the lighthearted character? Um, now as a quick aside
2: mm-hmm. that's an adventures league character and you can't play a goblin and a cavalier um, because they're from You're different books. books but they have certificates that you can pay for a goblin and I paid way too much at a charity auction for one of those certificates
0: oh <laughs> so, at a yeah. convention
2: recently but it was for charity so it was a good a good I wanted to spend
0: about twenty dollars sleep at night twenty dollars. <laughs> Came and went. (laughs) Oh, I was at a charity auction where one of those certificates uh, for the Living Greyhawk, and we're kind of going off topic here, for the Living Greyhawk uh, organized play. And somebody paid $140. I didn't spend that much, but it it was in that realm. You just keep
1: telling yourself, this is for charity. (laughs) That's right. That's what I said. It was for a good
0: cause. But they were allowed to carry a certain magic item that was considered illegal in the
2: game yeah we could probably do a whole podcast on yeah. the charity connection of DD or incorporate it into our next podcast
0: yeah, yeah. that's true
1: um, so so we've decided here that uh, one of the things we want we do is like to make our characters unique um, something you know I usually when I go into a game uh, we all everybody sits down and like you know this time I really want to play the fighter and I really want to do this um, you know I like to be the magic wielder um, I know we need to uh it's important to have everybody fill out their roles. I'm usually a pretty good guy about, uh, you know, what do we, I ask everybody, so what do we need at the table here? Um, And when you're creating a character, it's nice to say, well, we're pretty magic light right now. Yeah, and that gets into that that niche thing that you mentioned for superheroes. I think it's more
2: fun for people when you have a role in the group. Mm -hmm. So you're not overlapping With two archers, two range players, you know, you sort of, yeah. You both get half the spotlight. And I, as yeah. a DM even I prefer to have specialized, you know, characters that fill a niche.
1: Yeah. What I was gonna say is the one thing a life lesson that I have learned from role playing games, it's very important, is that you should always try to find that unique skill or unique position that you have and exploit that to make yourself indispensable. Fresh milk after every battle. Yeah. Um, one of uh, I the character that I learned that from was actually a, a good old school TSR game Star Frontiers. Oh, I remember Star. Yeah, Frontiers. Star Frontiers was a cool they, game. I, we, I
2: believe there you can still get that online. I think really they, I read something recently either they're redoing it or re-releasing it on
1: PDF. Oh, that would be kind of cool. Yeah, we had some really good times playing Star Frontiers. Everybody wanted to uh, have a laser pistol, have a needler, run around and do all the stuff. Um, that was. One of the first games where I decided that uh, I was always going to be the weirdo in the group. You know, I always have the alien, the tabaxi, the female character, the, you know, off race character, anything like that. I was the Vrusk in the group. Bunch of humans. I was a giant bug. Yeah. However, I was also the doctor. (laughs) Interesting. And I think they had a bonus to the stat that, yes, yeah. And the thing about that was, is I had a couple of the players. I had one player who gave me a bunch of crap for being a giant bug, however, he was also the guy that got hurt all the time, so he was coming (laughs) to the bug, (laughs) and we were in the early. Uh, early runs of that campaign you they like really got her mantis
2: like or something it was it was sort of yeah. like a
1: kind of like a praying mantis you had a kind of long horizontal torso with six legs cuz we had minis for this and then you had it was it was like a bug centaur cuz yeah. you had a torso and then yeah. you had the bug back all that but yeah you had some stat bonuses and uh you know and, and also you were kind of weird yeah. Um, there were uh, I, I'm, somebody might have been a dralocyte which was the sort of blob characters but I could be wrong about that but anyway so uh, that's that's something that I think is really important is you always you know you have to have that unique skill set yourself apart from the other characters uh, we've already discussed all the min-maxing um, yeah, anyway, let's, let's talk about to, uh, my guy syndrome oh, we, the, uh, my guy yeah. syndrome so uh, yeah, yeah that, is, that is kind of an important thing and I just learned about that uh, from you So, why don't you uh, tell us about that, Eric? Yeah,
2: so there's this, you can read up a lot online. It's, uh, they call it My Guy Syndrome. And it's the, it's what my character would do. Basically, it's a player giving themselves permission to be an a hole. And um, it happens a
0: lot more often than one might think. And that violates my rule of don't infringe on other people's fun. Yes. And that fun includes the DM. Yeah. I have had many times where a player is, as you said, that complete a-hole, and I want nothing more than to just, I'm throwing a red dragon at your ass. Yeah. (laughs) Disagreements at the table. I have to admit, I probably
2: used to be that guy that would argue the point of a rule until I died, and I've toned
0: that down a little bit. You're the guy that there's a meme on a t-shirt that says,
1: yes, the rules do say you can do this, but the rules also say you're a dick. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. That uh, my current mutants and masterminds game that has come up a couple of times where the game master has had well laid plans, and uh, a character will completely go off script off on their own and, well, that's just, that's what my character do. I just, I, I think I yeah, see that's, that's what the, that's they that's a were classic. Do. I'm a
2: rogue and I don't want to yeah. walk with the party because right. they ruin my,
1: you know what? Like, so yeah. we're going to spend yeah. the entire session uh-huh. running two groups? Yeah, I'm really despondent because of what happened last run, so I need to be by myself for a while. Well, you're going to sit there and not do anything. Yeah, for that's what I do as a team. We, <laughs> right. we had a player uh, back in Champions and they spent almost two months we were playing every other week two months they spent they would show up and sit there and do nothing because their character was unhappy
0: well alright well let's talk about this so uh, in some of the stuff that we were I was reading about about the my guy syndrome is it? It started with the paladin back in AD&D because yeah. the paladin was supposed to be the lawful good guy and you know basically the knight in shining armor they always have, trying to help the downtrodden also known as lawful stupid back yes, in AD they exactly. have really
1: clear morality that's defined by the game yeah. and right. then you also oh, had you a, a rule an, an entire
0: class in AD&D called an assassin right
1: the so, exact
0: opposite, opposite of the paladin yeah. and um, i found that paladin is actually I enjoyed the paladin class. I thought it was kind of a cool idea. I also enjoyed the assassin. But when some people played it, they played it just like Greg says. Lawful stupid. Yeah. Right? Um, and I'm like, wait a second. I tried to tell them, are you sure that's what you want to do? Just because you're a paladin doesn't mean that you are you have a line and you cannot cross that. Yeah. Um, now, that also gets us into, is your character... You know, as you said, it infringes on the fun of other people. But is your character you? Obviously not. But I
2: mean... I think when I was younger, I wished they were, or I was them, I think. But now I have definitely have have expanded my, you know, when I was a young teen, mm-hmm. you know, they were all sort of fantasy versions of what I would want to be. Right. And, you know? Exactly.
0: I think that's no longer the case. But, yeah. But is it so. good role-playing? When you are doing as you know, as Greg asks, that's what my character would do. But what your character just did sucked.
1: That's an interesting thing you bring up though. When you uh, when you make up player characters, do you tend to want them to be more or less like you? Because um, I what I, my observation is is early on when you start your role playing career, you are making up a like you just said fantasy version of yourself. Right. But the longer that you play in. in in my personal experience, is the, more, the longer I play, the less and less my characters yeah. are like me, and the more I want them and to be like somebody interesting. I
2: don't like think that's an uncommon phenomena. If we think back, again, I'm the history guy, so yeah. to speak, um, the original d and cartoon, if you remember the intro, yeah. those were players who went on a roller coaster and turned into their characters. Right. Guardians of the Flame, Joel Rosenberg, a very popular series, again... People from the real world who transferred into their characters became them. Even Narnia, you know, they go to this world. They they mm-hmm. get uh, Chronicles of Thomas Covenant, the Unbeliever. He goes, you know, from the real world into the fancy world where he's very much more powerful. So I think that's a common theme. Yeah. Well, especially uh,
1: when in media, start
0: start gaming.
1: Yeah, especially in media properties because it's easier for an audience to relate to the to the characters if they are like their real life counterparts. I
0: like you guys have done the same thing. I've I've grown in my character building but with the exception of rangers almost except for one exception my rangers should i make a new ranger (laughs) are variations of that original ranger that i made back in the early days that was like you said a fantastical version of me and it's kept that way matter of fact the name is a variation of the same name on through yeah So I guess I still do. So
1: we've got um, so everybody's really pretty good about uh, you know making up their player characters and all that. uh, But as uh, as game masters, hold on, can I say one more thing about my
2: guy syndrome? Is to me what it boils down to is when you game D and D or any other game, um, there's a social contract between you and everybody else
0: involved. Absolutely.
2: And. You have to not violate that contract, and my guy violates that contract yeah. because you're infringing on other people's fun, and you need to keep that in mind.
0: Yeah. Um, it wasn't—this um, brings up a—maybe we're going too much on this, but I think it's it's worth talking about. Yeah. Um, back when I was DMing a lot in high school, we didn't know about my guy syndrome, but there was a player who said, well, my guy's going to do this, and he was good at what he did. Oh, my gosh. Did he do some stuff that just uh, stole the glory, um, maybe took some fun away, certainly uh, ticked me off as a DM in many ways to the point where every time we got to gaming, a little part of my brain was like, how do I kill this guy? Yeah, it's not fun anymore. How do I kill this guy? And it came as a kind of a revelation just recently. Um that I think, and I eventually did, and I think I set out, and I regret it, I set out to kill him in a game. And I did. And I regretted it. Um,
1: And it was,
0: but it was because he had played that character. I wouldn't say it was necessarily good role-playing, but he was certainly doing the My Guy role-play very well. And uh, um, that was probably one of my least favorite things uh, DMing moments. Yeah, that might be
2: a good topic for another podcast. Is how to deal with problems at your table. I see a lot of posts yeah. online, people
1: asking about that. So that, might yeah, be. I do see that from time to time on Facebook and stuff. And uh, you know, and that's that's also a maturity thing too. I mean, you guys are in high school. Nobody yes. would take somebody off and talk about that. You know, now that we're all uh, less young, we yeah. would uh, <laughs> you would have a uh, the game master might pull a character off to the side or or send him an email and say you know, I'm having some issues with this. You know, let's talk about this. That's not something you're going to do when you're 15. But you know, when you're in your 40s, you can have an adult conversation about, hey, you're screwed. And and I think that's, that's would be
2: a helpful conversation to have because a lot of there's a lot of new DMS out there. Fifth edition is is topping the chart still. And uh, we could share that at some point. Speaking of uh, problems, though, this might be a good time to uh, I believe we've mentioned Greg's crippling dice addiction in the past and uh, we've recently it's not a uh, partnered with an organization you, and uh, agreed to provide a, a public service announcement so maybe we should all take a listen to that This message is brought to you by Doe? Diceaholics Dice addiction can strike anywhere. It is truly random.
1: Rolling that first D4 seemed so harmless How else can you cast a magic missile? Before you knew it, I was begging friends for extra D6s so I could upcast Fireball. It really got out of control. I didn't even care about splash damage. I just needed more D6s. There is a conspiracy by the game companies to enable Dice Addiction. Dice Pool games? They were no accident. Last year, everyone in my town had to stop playing Shadowrun for a month because we ran out of D6s. These companies are making money off of this crippling addiction. So before your number's up, call Doe at 555-POLYHEED. That's
2: 555-765-9432. Okay,
0: well hopefully we can get Greg in contact with that organization and get it under control. Sounds a little shady to me. Oh no, it's it's legit. It is straight up legit. It will only cost you about $3,000 to rid yourself. Of or, your addiction, or the majority of your dice collection. Yeah, I mean which will you got be found uh, on eBay. <laughs>
1: that's, I was going to say that's a that's a trade off. It's about a balance there. Um,
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. You don't get to keep your dice after the addiction.
1: Oh, okay. And but, how am I going to play?
0: It's an intervention. We'll loan you dice. So, really basic dice.
1: Download random number generators phone on your phone. App, yeah. yeah. Oh, phone apps are pure evil. Pure, i don't pure use them evil. i like the sound of the dice at the table that, uh, yes phone apps exactly. are wrong on every level all right well uh, so let's continue uh, our, levels, our discussion yeah, yeah um yeah we got uh we got going to talk about some npcs um non-player characters non-player characters um now uh, a lot of times when people make up player characters they introduce npcs into their background uh rawiel she had a very important npc she had her mother yeah. Um, and, yeah, which uh, I appreciate
2: as a DM when players really put in those plot hooks, so to speak. Um, it gives me more—I I tend to run a campaign that has a lot of story arcs going at once. And I try to give each character an individual arc. So it's helpful when you have those those relatives
1: or yeah, important that, people. Yeah, that's um, uh, something else we didn't really uh, talk too much about before is whether you create—how much of a backstory you create. Um
2: you for know, your if, character. Yeah,
1: for your character. If you're creating, if you're doing like Adventures League, you know, you plunk down, you got to make up a character usually pretty quick. There's not a lot of inner character interaction going on in that situation, which we can talk about. But um, you do a lot of stuff with your background. You make up people who your characters interact with before. Sometimes the game master makes those up, sometimes players. Do you guys prefer the players to make up the uh, background characters for theirs? Or um, would you rather they say, here, Or give you a framework. I gave you a full-on character sheet for Raw Whale's mom. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Greg tends to develop backstory a lot. He's Like I said, he's the player's player. I like that. Um, In my most recent campaign that I just started up, I really emphasized that I wanted my players to develop their characters. I wanted them to take real possession of their characters. And maybe not to the extent that Greg goes to, but um, there's some really great backstories Um, Some are funny. Some are very serious. My son made one that I think is a fantastic uh, backstory, and I won't get into the details, but basically he's kind of on a life quest to rid the world of orcs, at least as much as he can, but he's a half-orc himself. (laughs) Um, it's good. That's good conflict.
1: See? Yeah, it gives you something for your character. Exactly, your character a direction to go.
0: Um, yeah. And then another character has been um, kind of touched. These, uh, they've all got really great backgrounds, and I'm using that as fodder for an open ended world, kind of a sandbox type of world to kind of you know, it's not necessarily going to be focused on this character all the time or that character, but I might add bits and pieces that will relate yes. to their backstory.
2: So the way I do it, and I've, it's been a while since we started the campaign, but um, I like to have a give and take. I like characters, I say, send me your backstory. And they send me their initial version, and then I tweak it. I, as I've probably mentioned in the past, I run in Greyhawk. I always have. You know, it's a home sort of a homebrew version of Greyhawk. Um, but I draw on a lot of the source material. So they, they send me something. I add details, they send it back. I add more details, and then as a the campaign goes on, I, I fill in extra, you know, tweak and, and fill in as as I need to. So I appreciate when characters at least show up with with a framework. I might not let them keep it. Um, you know, I might go, well, no, 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 you're not you're not from here. You need to be from this area because that's important for. Tying into other characters, like characters that have connection at the beginning of the campaign.
1: Yeah, I remember that happened uh, with Rawiel, the uh, necromancer she was going after. I think he changed race a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, probably. And, uh, you know, that was just how the, that was just the direction yeah. the campaign prior was to going. you meeting him. Yeah. Prior yeah. to meeting him, he was a half orc and now he's a human. OK, yeah. Yeah. but uh, but, you know, that that kind of thing doesn't matter. It's all about their their story their place in the story, not so much the you know finicky details of everything. Um, now, do you, where do you guys, uh, when you're making up the NPCs, do you uh, what do you draw from on those? Well, we skipped uh, our most memorable NPCs. Okay. That to me we is way more important than PCs. Oh, <clears <clears throat> well, throat> yes, for you that would be more important. <laughs> uh, for me, so uh, do you have a? Uh, what are some of your most memorable? NPCs. Yeah, well, there's one particularly I'm proud of, although we haven't, you guys haven't
2: interacted with him a whole lot. Um, he's his name is Lush, Lucian Goldblum, and I'm not sure why I picked that name. It was sort of out of the blue, but he actually uh, is a vampire who runs a trading empire. Um, in my campaign, the city of Divers is a lawful, neutral city. It's a trading city. Anything can be bought and sold. So uh, or very, few, very few morals, as long as you follow the rules, and their rules are basically don't cheat anybody. Um, and this guy sort of started with, if you're a vampire, you know, why don't you just become, like, incredibly wealthy and powerful? Why do you need to you know, run around in the dark at night and try to seduce young women And this guy took that to the extreme. He started this caravan trading empire, and now he has a chateau, and he doesn't even need to feed because people willingly go to him to be fed off of because he pays them. I mean, if you're a poor person and somebody's going to let some vampire drain a pint or two and he's going to give you 50 gold, why would you need to even leave the house? Yeah, exactly. He's a little scary. Yeah, and I also—he's based off of— uh The vampire lestat very decadent mm-hmm. uh, when you walk into his house there 's just a constant party people half clothed um and he's he 's very much knows that he is the most powerful being in in the
1: city yeah, and in that campaign, most of the player characters are pretty are it 's a very, fairly morally upstanding group of characters there 's a lot of good characters uh lawful characters neutral we don't have anybody who's you know a little sketchy except maybe the thief but uh i
0: have to admit i'm not big on developing a whole lot of my npcs um i do put some effort into it uh sometimes it's on the fly because uh the characters may interact in a way that i wasn't quite prepared so if i put too much effort into making something i i i kind of get thrown for a a little bit of a role there but i did develop one most recently who is becoming my favorite and i really can't speak on him too much because he does have a secret as a lot of npcs do the Um, interesting ones yes and he's part of the current campaign so i really can't speak on it especially what the secret is but um he's uh wow i know that my group is going to listen to this. So I think I'm just going to have to say he's cool. (laughs) Yeah, and that brings us back to, like, in my mind, there's two different version of
2: NPCs. You're generic and forgettable NPCs, right? I I need a person to do
1: this. The bartender who you walk into in the village you're never going back to again. And then the
2: memorable and long-lasting, you know, the the person who's going to be the bad guy, the long-term bad guy, or or the connection. And ironically, the players sometimes flip those roles um, in the long-lasting campaign, the players yes. met a, a sage named Phineas. Well, Phineas is a super powerful being, and the characters, essentially they were going to be sort of his guy, their guide and, and give them assignments, and the characters immediately ignored him. And I don't <laughs> think they've gone back in four years, have they talked with Phineas. We're very, very busy saving the world. <laughs> so I spent all this <laughs> time developing time this character. Kind of. On the flip side, at one point... I needed a wizard to come sort of waylay the party. And uh, there's this person in Greyhawk called called McDare. McDare. And I decided he was a wizard for hire. And and they're, you know, the big bad IUs was going to hire them to mess with the party. And uh, they showed up. He showed up, hosed the party. And for him, it was just. A contract. A party actually stole a a manual of the golem from him, so he had a little. We we broke his golem, too. Yeah. So, anyway, he showed up. He turned into the bane of their existence. I didn't even put any thought into this character. I was like, he's a wizard. He can do this. This is what I need. And even to this day, I think he is the the biggest NPC in the player's eyes, which I put zero thought into. He's supposed to be disposable.
1: I've, I've had it that happen, a, too. Where? It has a lot. It had a lot to do with him immobilizing us and dropping us into the middle of a street in a city full of the undead without any weapons. You were already in the street
2: filled with undead. He just immobilized you.
1: Well, yeah. And, and took we, your weapons. We were going to die if we hadn't conveniently introduced a brand new NPC to swing in and save us all. <laughs> so that was really good. Yeah. Um, I know one of actually one of my favorite NPCs right now is uh, is in your uh, in your not your short run campaign let's call it um, and that's the uh, the, the brother sister duo of Molly and Filbert uh, who uh, run the airship that we go around on. Uh, I have a tabaxi. My tabaxi likes to eat. My tabaxi likes Filbert because he's the cook. Yeah, and uh, and we interact with him a lot, and and uh, Molly the um, Molly Sprocket, Molly Sprocket. Uh, I, I think that's another important thing too. People remember NPCs who have fun names. Yeah, whether that name is important or has anything to do with anything, we're going to remember Molly Sprocket. You know, we're going to remember she's a gnome by the way. If name. That wasn't obvious. Yeah, names. <laughs> I
0: pretty much could guess that. So. Um,
1: that's an important thing. Uh, I know uh, in my Star Wars game, uh, there was an NPC droid in that. Everybody remembers the NPC droid because his uh, number was R2R0. We called him r 2 r not. And, um, (laughs) you know, he he was actually a very effective droid because we had a blaster installed in him. Droids are a uh, blast uh, in Star Wars. Like, when you can't do anything, get the droid in here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, R2R0 was uh, the Game Master used him for maximum effect to get us into and out of trouble. Um, And that that was another uh, long-term fun campaign. Do you
0: guys use the NPCs that are often provided with pre-published stuff or do you kind of I mean it's almost necessary to use them because they're part of the background but do you stick with what they've been doing You giving? know I I run some adventures
2: leagues modules at conventions and stuff um I always like to try to run at any convention I attend just so I feel like I'm helping out not just you know taking advantage of other people's work but um one of the things they do in those modules a lot of people um or a lot of the modules they'll have an npc quote and it's just a little sentence, like if it's a, you know, if it's a pirate, the quote might be like, argh, I lost my other leg or something or, you know, something stupid. But it's a lot of times I've discovered you can really get a good feeling for how to play that character as a DM with very little preparation because I go, okay, I see this quote. like It's flavor. Yeah, it's flavor, but it gives you, okay, I can get in a character's mindset really right. quickly by just reading this one quote. And also, you know, uh, you know, my, one of the things I always Joke about it, you know the solution seems to be evading me, yeah. uh, you know that's a brainiac, mm-hmm. you know sort of nerdy character. Um, it gets you in that mindset, and then all of a sudden when I play the character, just one quote, and I I think a lot of voice actors will have a warm up to get them into an accent that's similar. Um, you yeah. know you keep using that word. I do not think that word means what you
1: think it means. <laughs> you know, and then you go on from there. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys tend to uh, when when you're coming up with uh, NPCs? Uh, I would imagine, are you usually, in your head, basing it off on something from another media property that you're familiar with? Not so much. Um, Again, um... I see the the advantage of that, sorry to interrupt you, is that the players immediately have a touchstone with that. If you're making him similar to... You know, that guy from that movie we've all seen, you're going, oh, he's like that guy from that movie we've all seen.
0: I guess yeah. now that I think about it, probably so. There's a there's probably a good portion of, of that type of inspiration for my NPCs and my games. But I think most of them are ones that I kind of try to give my own personality. Not my personality, but their own personality and and background. But again, I don't go super heavy detail because I find that I spend maybe too much time that isn't... Well used when doing that. I like to,
2: like Lucian Goldblum.
0: You know, he's got a little
2: bit of vampire Lestat in him, but mm-hmm. he's he's more than that. I what I do tend to do when I run is try to get a visual image of the NPC in my mind. What does this person look like? I've I've noticed that when I'm DMing, I sometimes I'll neglect describing the environment. So by setting up a visual image. I then describe that image to the player, which makes a pen's NPC a little more real, a little more memorable. So um, I, and a lot of those would be based off of, you know, a video game movie a book, you know, what my, my image of a character in a book was.
1: Do you ever tread into the dangerous uh, territory of basing NPCs on people that you or other people at the table might actually know? Um,
2: I do, but I change it enough. And, and if nobody's tried this as a DM, um, do it. Uh, if It's either somebody you know or somebody, you you know, a, a fictional character you know a lot about, you've read mm-hmm. a lot about. Um, it adds to the motivation of the NPC. So I like to pick a real person I know. Um, there was a gentleman I used to know in the SCA years ago. And your most recent Viking lord that, that you're not a Viking but barbarian yeah. lord you've dealt with is based off of him. And yeah. I spent a lot of time with this guy. I used to go out, do stuff every weekend with him. And when the players interact, rather than me thinking, how's this NPC going to react? I think, how would this guy react to that? Hmm. And it creates creates a really deep NPC because it's not textbook reactions. Like, I know this guy does, you know, maybe he, he doesn't like children for whatever reason. Well, that's not something I would put into an NPC normally. Just randomly, he doesn't, or he's uncomfortable around children, let's say. But all of a sudden, you have this guy who's a lord of a keep. On the borderland somewhere, a call back to AD&D, and uh, he's got this weird quirk that he's uncomfortable around children.
0: It makes for a really memorable game experience. I think that's a good bit of advice for people out there listening who are wanting to come up with a idea for an NPC on the fly. Just pick someone that you know or you're familiar with that has, you know, maybe an interesting or an odd or maybe even a annoying quirk.
2: Yeah, just or just how they would react to different situations.
1: Yeah that's very helpful. Um are there uh in in your uh, NPC experience are there any super annoying or unkillable uh NPC somebody had, we'd brought that up while we were pre-discussing and uh you know aside from IU's uh who uh What uh, NPCs? I hate that guy. You
2: guys haven't even tried to kill Ayus
1: yet. We can't kill Ayus. You are probably correct. But But, that's not uh, because of any limitation I am imposing. uh, I think when he had— He's a demigod, When he had dinner with us and then just sort of poofed away, that was a little frightening. (laughs) That is—he
2: didn't just poof away. I believe um, a succubus was impregnated by your paladin that evening as well.
1: Well, yeah, well, you know doesn't get much so. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's an NPC now because he was already down the path of evil oh wow yeah that's uh, the, the the deck of many things yes yeah that's uh, not a good that was really bad for uh, many that of our was a game characters. changer.
0: never put that in your campaign unless you're ready for turmoil the deck of many things uh, oh my gosh yeah. yes yeah. that used to be one of the uh, the highlights. You know, when we were kind of being less serious about our game. The deck yeah. of many things happened to be on the table, that yeah. are just sitting there. I think
1: everybody drew two cards, didn't they? At, At least. I yeah, think except for me, more. and I drew no cards, because well, well. I saw what was happening. Henry drew three, and they were all bad. Oh, jeez, he drew three. I didn't And that's why three. he has a new character. Yep, yep. That's <laughs> His yeah. old character
2: is still around, though. Actually, he's, yes, he's he back is. to being good. You guys uh, redeemed him.
1: Yeah, See, it, a, man, it all do, turns out well in the end. I've never had any now and then.
0: unkillable people. Well, I, yeah, I guess I have. In some of the, the published stuff, the NPCs sometimes, I think, are maybe too important to the story. And if they are killed, then yeah. it kind of screws up the rest of the story a little bit. And so they reappear in another guise in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, so they're not de- really unkillable. They just... Yeah, players are notorious for not following the path you expect them to,
2: which That's we're going to do a whole episode on railroading versus sandbox, <laughs> uh, which are two different play styles. But yeah, I agree. Um, I think it's important in my campaign. Uh, you know, I, I put on my notes here, uh, Valor Morgulis, which is from Game of Thrones, all men must die. Yes. I think everybody should be killable at some point if they have the ability, you know, you guys could kill Ayuz. The problem is Ayuz is a demigod and, and you're not. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's a problem. But theoretically in the future you could take him down. That, so I, I think see, it's important that that's the far future. They have the uh
0: the the opportunity to take out NPCs if if they so desire. Well, so. you know, sometimes uh and we're going to go into this like you said, players throw a, throw you for a loop and if they kill that important NPC then the DM just has to roll with it.
1: But it is the, I see it as the DM's call, though, that they always have some kind of out if they needed needed to yank that character out of there. But you don't want to do it in such a way that invalidates what the player characters did. I mean, you know, if if they succeeded in killing that bad guy, clearly, you almost have to let them do it. And you know, you can replace him with somebody else, maybe his, you know, his half brothers lying in wait to take his place. Yeah, but, that was, um,
2: again a call back to the old old school. They used to just have new versions of dead characters because they didn't want to wanna make a brand new character, so they just label him like, you know, Bob Two, because yes. Bob dies. Yeah, <laughs> you Bob. do the same thing with NPCs. Yes. You know, always just have a different
1: one show up and He's from a big fill family, the same so. role. <laughs> yeah. So um so do we uh do we wanna try to uh randomly uh well, make up there's, there's one
2: other point we're skipping, which is using player character rules for NPCs versus not following the rules for NPCs. And I'm curious, uh, I know okay. how I do it, I'm curious, like, Dean, you DM a lot, when you are making the statistics, again, I'm a numbers guy for an NPC, are you just throwing something together or are you following the rules as if that person was a, a player character?
0: It is kind of a mix of both. Um, If I don't think that the NPC is going to be that important, and again, they could become important, I really don't spend a lot of time with that. I mean, they're never as, unless they are like, you know, a leader of some sort, but if it's your general NPC that you meet on the street who has a bit of information or maybe the bartender or whatever, you know, they're never as strong or uh, smart as the players in terms of their stats, but they have a speciality to them that, you know, the characters might need. Going back the to – players.
2: we t- mentioned followers versus henchmen in first edition. And if I recall correctly, followers were player characters. They were based – basically you generated player characters and they were – I think um, that's the case. Yeah. yeah, and then henchmen were just people – henchmen and hirelings mm-hmm. um, that could be sort of more generic – Kind of um, fixed from a from a chart or an N P C yeah, and and book. maybe I'm showing my age, but I still sort of follow that if it's somebody important that might be adventuring with the group or Yes. That, that in that case, yes. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna use and even important enemies. I want the players to feel that it's uh it's an even playing field that this guy you know, now I might add on stuff through that person's experience, just like a player character is, you know got plus two plate mail or some weird so this you know they're not going to be stocked right out of the box but that's where i'm going to
0: start for, for those and yes that that i do do that if it's somebody who's going to be going along and going to be a vital participant in the adventure then they're going to uh, have another
2: stats. another quick aside uh we uh i had a group of monks monk followers in second edition that were uh, totally uh dedicated to me and would would lay down their lives for my player character, player character, which was sort of fun. But I bring that up because back when I was in the SCA, I used to know an individual who had been king at one point. He was a duke, and he had squires. He was a knight, and... In trying to impress the young ladies, he would say, my squires are so dedicated to me, they would throw themselves on their swords if I commanded it. And, the and these women were... would be like, no, are you serious? What? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, watch. And he could come over here. you know. And he'd say, throw yourself on your sword. And the, and the young man would be like, are you sure, my lord? He's like, yes, I command it. Throw yourself on my sword. So the the guy would take out the sword and he'd sort of look at it and, and look a little nervous. Then he would throw it on the ground so it was just laying on the ground and he'd yep. flop on top of yeah. it.
1: <laughs> nice.
2: Right. It
0: was always a, a, a good stupid squire trick. hmm <laughs> And it didn't hurt that some of the swords, at least the ones in the SCA, were made out of rattan.
1: Well, yeah. Th- that, that would hurt to jump on one of those because yeah, they usually had basket hilts for your hands. You. Yeah. Probably more so than, yeah, a metal sword. So, so uh, let's throw together an NPC here. Super quick. Sure. Super quick. Um, All right, what's his role? Let's see. You're your dungeon master. i the, the dungeon master because that's where I'm used to going. Okay. Um. So I let's say
2: we've I've already expl- explained Lucia, Lucian Goldbloom. I need a counter to Lucian. I need his main competitor. Because obviously an NPC, he's super powerful, too powerful for the player characters, but if there was somebody they could ally with to play against Lucian, that to me is an interesting game dynamic. Sort of his business Van Helsing.
0: Yes. His, his... Like a Rakshasa? There you go. Ooh, uh, explain what a Rakshasa is in case people don't know. Uh, it's from the Indian mythos, and I mean Indian as in like... Uh, uh, it from the in, subcont- yeah, subcontinent. subcontinent, Subcontinent of India. Um, it's basically a, a humanoid tiger. Of great intelligence, and usually they are quite wealthy. They're magical. Um, that, in a nutshell, is it. Think of it as a, a humanoid shape change. They do. I think they do shape change. It's, it's been a, been a while. while. It's yeah. been a while. But they've been one of my favorite characters. I just think they're cool. They're suave. Yeah, I think they're, the original really picture neat. had
2: them like with a pipe or something, or some, yeah. like mm-hmm. a, or a robe, or they have some weird picture. Okay, so, so we got a Rakshasa.
0: And what's his name? Um, well, I, I'm see.
2: awful at names. Yes,
0: which is... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> call him Tim.
2: Uh, you know what I like to do for names? I like to give titles. So let's make him an Amir. The Amir. Okay. All right. They can, people can just call him that. Yeah.
0: yeah. The so, Amir. The right.
2: Amir. Uh, because that also makes PC more memorable. Male or female? I, I tend to run a male-dominated world. I, I tend to run a little hardcore,
1: so I think male. Well, okay. and but it doesn't also, have to be. I, well, and... You know, not to be overly or negatively PC, but the, the worlds that they live in, the the, the social construct that they're around yeah. would lean more towards a male.
2: And from a character. adventure perspective, the uh adventures just uh inadvertently released Lucian's ex girlfriend, who's yeah. also a vampire, who is in stasis and they're not sure exactly what's gonna happen with that. So there's already a main female player.
1: We're staying on her good side as long yeah. as we possibly can.
0: So we got a Rakshasa, who is the emir. Um, any interesting quirk or... Uh, well, um,
2: what first is, what does he do? Because Lucian runs a caravan trading empire. Does this guy run a competing caravan trading empire? Or is he in a business related
1: to that? So... I forgot. What are they? Uh, what are they moving with the caravan? What kind, what type of other manu- manufactured raw, manufactured
2: and raw materials? Oh, okay. Could
1: this guy possibly be kind of a
0: mafia mob boss? Oh, there you go, like a an underworld. So
1: demands protection money, mm-hmm. uh, especially of the uh, the businesses that create the goods that the uh, and guy maybe has Lucian has, to has
2: cut him out because Lucian's so powerful that this guy's not getting his cut from Lucian. He gets it from most other places. I yeah. like it. That seems
0: fair. Yeah, yeah. and. As, where's he based? Same city, different city. I think same city. Okay. So, so they, 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 the confrontations are always in their
2: face. And Lucian, we already know, holds, you know, has a profile in the city, so he's he's can come and go freely, even though he's yeah, in he doesn't there. own the Maybe city. Maybe this guy, these yeah. the, the the Emir and Lucian see each other at public events, mm-hmm. and they secretly despise
0: each other, but they put it on a face. In and public. much much like Lucian, the Emir has other branch organizations in other towns and such like that. I'm assuming that Lucian branches yeah. out. Yeah, well, Lucian yeah. is across the whole, the whole yeah. continent. Um,
2: and maybe the emir does not necessarily directly run a guild, but he is the guild master of the guild master. So all these lesser thieves guilds and assassins guilds report to him. So he has a core
0: cadre of individuals. Greg, sort of like the, that sounds good. The, uh, Greg, I think you may just see uh, yeah, we're in trouble. something in uh, in right. your story. in your story as have to write it down or
1: I'll forget. Yeah. Yeah, I'll see them uh, approaching us on the sly to try to work against him. So.
0: Okay. Uh, that's
1: kind of frightening. Not, All right. That's cool. Um, well, th- thank you, Greg. If, the,
0: if this Rikshasa shows up in your campaign and kills uh, I'm you. I'm blaming it's, you. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, and we're, <laughs> all do right. We, uh, do we have a
2: uh, DM's Guild? We do. On? Now, I just want to say, you know, the DM's Guild. I'm reviewing stuff that I've used primarily, not necessarily the newest stuff.
0: They are in no way, shape, or form a sponsor.
2: No, no. And uh, it's but just good
0: stuff out there. I don't
2: feel right just sort of pulling an adventure that I've never run characters through, so and trying to review it. So um, this is one that uh, called uh, Mini Dungeons Caves C3, the Lair of Frosting Bite. And uh, in our campaign, our, our mini campaign, uh, or what, a short campaign, what do you call it, Greg? I call it the bi-weekly, the and biweekly, and oh, okay. the monthly. <laughs> um, they went up against a—they're trying to track down a Frost frost Dragon. So I wanted something, you know, that was uh, sort of a lair that I could add stuff to. So I picked this up. It was $1.95. It's actually on sale right now, put out by uh, PB Publishing. Um, and it's just a little—about 15, 20 pages— and uh, minor lair. I modified it heavily. It wasn't for the level range. But one of the cool things they have in here is um, a mine cart scene, sort of like uh, from the Indiana Jones movie, yeah, where the characters go. have to hop in a mine cart and make a, a couple rolls. They get attacked by, by some flying kobolds.
1: Um, to make things a little more interesting. Uh, what what did you think of that? Uh, that? That was actually a lot of fun, and uh, it was both exciting because we were moving through it, and, of course, we were totally powerless because we were trapped on these high-speed yeah, these, moving minecarts. And I tend not to put stuff like that in
2: my campaign on my own. I I sort of focus on combat and adventure. So every once in a while it's fun to put in this sort of what they have chase scenes um, it's way
0: easier when somebody else has already written up the rules for it. All right, so it's on DM's Guild. It's Mini Dungeons Caves C3, the layer of frosting bite.
1: Yeah, yeah. we can have a link to that uh, in the show notes. Yeah,
0: and we'll put a link to that. So, you know, check it out. There's
2: other stuff. They do a lot of those mini dungeons. If you just need um, something to, to fill out an adventure, pick it up on DM's Guild.
0: All right, and we're about to call it a wrap, but we got to let you know what we're going to be talking about next week. Yeah, next week. Well, well I hate to say next week, well, next, next time. time.
2: Generally every two
0: weeks, I think, is our schedule we're trying to. We're going to
2: try to keep yeah. to that. Um, so episode four for the Grognars is going to be entitled Get Your Game On Line. <laughs> Uh, so we're going to be talking about <laughs> online gaming, uh, online resources, things like that. Uh, right. Should be a good episode. I believe Dean is going to be uh,
0: DMing that one for us. All right. And so make sure that you guys are leveled up before you get there.
1: Okay. And if you want to get a hold of us, uh, the easiest way is on Facebook where we are the Grognards. Uh, you can also uh, contact us through Twitter at TGrognards. And on Instagram, we are The underscore Grognards. We also uh, have an email address at gamers at the grognards.com. And uh, we're very responsive. We uh, would love to hear from you, your suggestions, your comments, uh, or uh, any ideas for uh, future shows that something you really want us to talk about. Although we have a pretty good list ourselves.
0: Well, that's a wrap for podcast number three of the grognards. I'm Dean Geiken. I'm Eric Holley. And I'm Greg Ziegler. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll talk to you next time.